All right, welcome in Inside Golf Podcast, Farmers Insurance Open with my good friend, Sian Ashad. You probably know him from the First Cup podcast. He's been on this show, I think, three times now. But I think you'll really enjoy this conversation. We recorded around midday Monday. It should be posted. It should be posted late tonight. Scramble, 11 a.m. Eastern tomorrow morning with Rick. Odds checker round one matchups article out tomorrow. Uh, I went on San Diego local television to do a quick breakdown of the tournament. You can check that out. It's on my Twitter as well. Apparently, I didn't bomb because they want to have me back on Friday to talk about things at the midway point. So that's a positive sign. But busy week followed by uh, a trip to Tory over the weekend, which should be quite enjoyable. So without further ado, let's get to the show. All right, Sian Ajad of Win Daily Sports, the First Cup podcast, is here to break down the Farmers Insurance Open with me. See, golf is kind of revving up, right? This is a big one, would you say? I would say this is a big one. It's funny because, you know, the season starts when it starts, but then it doesn't really officially start until certain tournaments start. And I, I think a couple tournaments ago, we were like, all right, well, it's officially starting. But this might be the one, especially considering the strength of field, particularly at the top where it's like, all right, officially now, and because it's a more challenging course too, uh, at least the South course is, I think this is where people are like, all right, golf season really is underway. Yeah, I feel like I feel like there wasn't much to learn about the state of some of these guys' game from watching what they did at Kapalua or at the American Express. Like, I don't think I learned much about where Rom and Cantlay are at from watching them play the American Express, right? So I agree with you. I think now we get a real golf course where if you don't have it, like you are going to shoot a couple over par. So I, I agree. I think there is a couple things we learned, at least from a couple players. That one that really comes to mind when you said that that phrase, like, did we learn like guys who were just not around for a while? Like I was pretty big on Will Zalatoris. I had him on the outright card and I had mm. him in DFS last week. Granted, I'm not really patting myself on the back. I also had a couple guys that definitely missed the cut. But the <laughs> point is, I don't think anybody knew where Will Zalatoris was in terms of the state of his game. And, you know, he had been really kind of off with the putter, with the approach play over the last, you know, six months or so. So nobody really knew where he was at. But I think last week, at the very least, and we do have you know some strokes gain data from at least um, the the stadium course, he looked pretty good. Now you're right; it's not a super challenging course, but for guys like that who have just their game has either been a little off, or they just haven't been around, they haven't played much lately, or both. I think we learned a little bit at least from guys like that. But yeah, it's few and far between in terms of like really gleaning anything, particularly from these elite players. No, but you do bring up a good point. Like I feel a little bit more squeamish about someone like DJ that hasn't played. Like mm -hmm. even even if you want to, I think the first couple of tournaments were like a little bit of a scrimmage, but I'd rather have them play than make their debut at a course that can really kick you in the ass if you don't have it. So I'm so glad you brought up DJ because to me, he's kind of like the Will Zalatoris of this tournament. Like to me, in other words, like a guy that like I really want to play, but there's so much unknown about him. But the difference between DJ and Zalatoris, and I'm not talking about their actual games. I'm talking about in like in my consciousness, like how I'm sure. perceiving them not coming into like, you know, any sort of recent play. Like DJ, like. I don't know what type of person DJ is. I don't know if he's like honing in on his game. Like my perception would have been with Will Zalatoris as, you know, a young guy, an up and comer, like he's really trying to fix some things. He's out on the course, you know, every other day, if not every single day of the week, you know, just really like just crushing it out there. I don't know. Like, I almost feel like Dustin Johnson has a little like Aaron Rodgers in him in oh, that sure it's just kind of like. I don't, I'm not sure if I care. It's cool not to care. I'm really good anyway. I'll probably crush it. Like, is he practicing? Like, have, have, do we know anything about like what, what he's been doing over the last couple of months? So my buddy from college is actually friends with him. They go spear fishing together and they hang out in, at this place in Idaho, Gaza Ranch. And he always tells me about DJ, kind of what everyone thinks, kind of what you said. Like he doesn't do a lot of practicing. He has other hobbies that he loves. He loves doing things like fishing and he's got two little kids now as well, mm. but he has so much God-given talent. Like he told me a story. Uh, I probably shouldn't say this, but whatever. He was joking that they were going fishing 
like a month before the Ryder Cup and DJ didn't know where, what course they were playing. Like a month before the Ryder Cup. He was like, yeah, I got this Ryder Cup thing. I think it's in Wisconsin or something like that. And maybe he's posturing and like just trying to be funny and stuff like that. But I really do think he has a, a very nonchalant, we'll say, approach to golf. But he's so good. Some players don't. You know, there are a lot of players that over the course of their career, like you ask them, they'll make, they won't change their swing. They'll make very minor changes to their swing. They're not tinkerers. And then some guys are big tinkerers. And just because you're not a tinkerer doesn't mean that you're not locked in and, and a great player, but you're right. Once you get these first couple of tournaments of the year, see it like you're basically playing a guessing game with how some of these guys are spending their off season. And you know, that's the thing with models too, that I, tell people to be cautious about like you're looking at past 50 rounds like some of those some of those stats can be from eight months ago you know what i mean Mm -hmm. absolutely i have a question though about the whole dj thing and him being talented if and i'm asking you specifically because i think you're the person to ask this question no matter how talented you are if you're not getting the reps in in this day and age it's it was different 20 years ago when like your talent probably was just Mm. going to be better than most people's if you were really that good in this day and age with all these up and comers, you know, and all the new, all the new guys, but also all the kind of new guys, you know, like that have been on the tour for two or three years that are really kind of just like launching themselves up the um, world golf rankings. If you're not getting the reps in, can you just lean on the talent? Is that still a thing in your opinion? I think this is the best era we've ever seen. I, I think if that's what you're getting at, I agree with you. Like I think Justin Thomas won five times in 2016. And I don't think Justin Thomas is going to win five times ever again in a no season. Way. Now, that's not because Justin Thomas necessarily got any worse, right? Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. just because parity is greater and the guys around him are so good. I mean, Patrick Cantlay basically has this absolute ceiling season last year where one of his wins, he gains 15 strokes putting. Another one of his wins, John Rahm, has to withdraw because of COVID. Another one of his wins, John Rahm technically beat him on the shadow leaderboard and he wins four times, right? And it takes like all these ceiling and crazy performances to see it happen. I think you're right. I think this is the hardest era to win in. I think that um, a lot of these guys are just going to continue to beat themselves up um, if that makes any sense. And all these guys, all these elites will win like once, twice, once every you know, once every six months or so. So I kind of agree with you. I think maybe that's kind of the question that we're going to have to start asking where some of these guys like DJ and Brooks, where you look at the pure talent alone and and you say, wow, but then you look around and it's like, damn, Sam Burns is playing really good golf right yeah. now. Scotty Scheffler is playing really good golf right now. You know what I mean? But that, but that works all the way down the board too, because I think of guys that were like, crushing it in the ball striking department last year that I was playing a lot in like daily fantasy and and in like some top 20s top 40s like Keegan Bradley and Charlie Hoffman I feel like at this point and you know those guys have their faults but they're great ball strikers and when the putter is good Mm -hmm. short game is good like you you know at least a year or two ago you you could see them in the in the top 10 in fields at least on on Sunday afternoon and now I'm thinking like I feel like those caliber golfers are starting to be we're going to start witnessing them get left behind quite a bit because all of these newcomers are so talented that they're just like slowly trickling up the boards and leaving guys like that kind of like middling golfer that has talent like a Keegan Bradley or Charlie Hoffman. I feel like they're all of a sudden just going to like descend lower and lower as each year goes by. Yeah, you might be right. I kind of get what you're saying with and we should we'll get to the we'll get to the odds in the course in a second. But yeah, I agree with you. I think some of these like new guys, like the unknown is very appealing to me, right? Like we know what Keegan Bradley is. We know what Charlie Hoffman is. We don't really know what Mito is. We don't really know what Adam Svensson is. So I agree with you um, on that. I think that's a really interesting point. Let's, let's get into the course though, Sia. I want to, because there's a lot to talk about here. I think this is a really compelling tournament. I'm really excited to talk to you about it and, and pick your brain on a couple things because I'm having... I'm having a little bit of a difficult time making some decisions, but we're talking about the Farmers Insurance Open. There are 156 players in the field. A lot of good players. We've already mentioned some of them. Rom, JT, Xander, DJ making his first start, as we talked about. Brooks, Berger, 
uh, Reed is back to defend his controversial title. Sam Burns, Hideki, Finau. I mean, the list goes on. There's just there's a lot of heavy hitters in this field. It's at Torrey Pines, which is a 36-hole public golf facility in La Jolla. So players will rotate Thursday and Friday at the South Course and uh, at the South Course and North Course and then play the final 36 at the South. The South Course is 500 yards longer. It's a lot more difficult. It's got POA greens, um, which are a handful if you've never played them, whereas the North Course features back greens and, and we've got Kikuyu Rough. Again, that rough gives me fits. I think some... PGA Tour players feel the same way. And the South Corsia, it's long and it's difficult. The fairways are narrow. They're difficult to hit. The greens are on the smallest side. What what are you kind of looking for this week, Sia, before we jump into the odds? So at first I was thinking, okay, I want I want guys who can hit it long. Obviously, that South Course, to your point, it's it's very difficult and and it's also very long. So it's certainly going to be an advantage to get the ball out there. But so I was looking at accurate, you know, driving accuracy, you know, off the tee, di- driving distance. But, you know, I feel like everybody's going to be just in the rough here and there. And I feel mm-hmm. like everybody's going to need to work the ARG game quite a bit, no matter yeah. who you are. So yeah, I, I, that's sort of where my emphasis a- ended up being. Not, not When I say emphasis, what I really mean is I'm emphasizing that part of the game a little bit more than I normally do. So obviously driving distance matters to me. Um, off the tee game matters to me. Approach play, particularly with the longer proximities, 175 to 200, or if you just want to do a, like a catch-all, 175 to 225-ish plus, um, that matters to me quite a bit. Par five scoring. But ARG around the green is going to be pretty important, I think, in this tournament. So that's the, those are my main focal points. Yeah. If you're not a good long iron player, you better have an elite short game. Like you, you, in my opinion, you need to be checking at least one of those two boxes. You don't have to be an elite long arm player. Patrick Reed has won here. Snedeker's had a ton of success here, but the thing that all of those guys have in common is that they've had an incredible short game. As you mentioned, let's get into the favorites. Sia. So I'm using odds from DraftKings Sportsbook. But as you know, throw out whatever numbers you want. So these are the guys that are 30 to one and under. John Rahm's plus 650. Uh, and these numbers might have moved a little bit. I, I pulled these for my notes at like 10 a.m. this morning. But Justin Thomas, 12 to 1. Xander at 14. Hideki at 18. Sam Burns, 20. Scotty Scheffler, 20. Daniel Berger, 20. Bryson, 22. Dustin Johnson, 22. Tony Finau, 25. Mark Leishman, 25, who I don't know what's going on with Mark Leishman on DraftKings because he's like 40 everywhere else. But we'll talk about him, I guess, in this tier. Who is there anyone that has your attention in this uh, in this group, Sia? So, you know, just like anybody else, nobody really likes to play guys that are on the shorter odds you know, or the shorter side of the odds. But in this tournament, it's certainly worth considering. Um, I agree. Andy, I don't know if it was you or somebody else who, who threw out the stat that Man, I think it was nobody that's been 60 to one or shorter has won this tournament in, in, in quite some time. So, mm-hmm. and that makes sense, right? Because this is going to be the South course in particular is going to be, a, going to be challenging. You typically see the cream rise to, or the, the cream rise to um, the top there. There's a couple of guys that interest me in spite of the short odds. I think Hideki Matsuyama is one of them. I think 18 to one is, is a pretty decent number for a guy who both in DraftKings from an ownership standpoint, and maybe with the odds, he still he still seems a little like he's getting underappreciated, and I think he has the game to succeed here. Obviously, the putter is potentially a problem for Hideki, but we know he can. We know the putter can be can pop for him. We know the short game is actually pretty good, and everything else just kind of checks out. The approach game is good off the tee. Um, the ball striking is is elite. Um, strokes gained par five, all that. The proximities that we're interested in. He's you know. It, it last 50 rounds, he's top 20 in those as well. So I think Hideki's interesting. And I think DJ is somebody I'd at least consider at 22 to one, just because of that unknown factor. I got to be honest. I don't think I'm betting that one, mm-hmm. but of all the shorter odds, I, I think DJ has the ability, like the ball striking is there for DJ. If, if the putter is good, I think DJ could absolutely contend here. Again, this is all contingent upon him actually like, being good right off the bat. But I think DJ and Hideki are the guys I have my eyes on here. 
First of all, I love the zag on Hideki. I agree with you. I don't think Hideki is going to get a lot of shine this week. I mean, people are just going to say, well, there's no way he can win three times in six starts, right? But that's generally the guy that ends up being in the winning DraftKings lineup, right? So mm-hmm. I don't know if I can get there at 18 to one, but I think Hideki's probably someone I'm going to look to um, in DraftKings at the very least. I want to ask you about Daniel Berger because um, he was kind of the the spotlight of my Sunday show. I talked about him a lot on Sunday. I can't figure out for the life of me why he's 20 to one across the board. Sia, do you, do you, what's your take on burger this week? Because I, I do kind of, I, I make my own numbers on Sunday and he's really far off from what I thought he would be. He's pretty much uniformly 20 to one across the board at a course where he's missed four cuts and isn't considered like a Daniel Berger short positional Florida Bermuda course? So it's a good question. We, we just talked about that on the first cut because in, in the pricing range, he's in the He's expensive. Range. Yeah, he's expensive in DraftKings too. He's a Fred, exactly. He's, he's ahead of like Bryson DeChambeau, for example. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying Bryson's this like this king, but you, you typically see that reverse there. I think it's because the approach game is what it is. I mean, listen, I'm not, I'm not taking him in DraftKings. Um, and I'm not betting on him, but the approach game is quite elite. And, and those longer proximities that we think, all right, well, maybe, maybe Daniel Berger isn't great there. He, he kind of is, you know, and he's hitting fairways. It's just when you look at a ball striker like that and a guy who is at least okay with the putter and sort of fits, you know, I don't think we think of Berger as, as being the guy who's going to be long, but he hasn't been terrible on, on these longer courses. No, he's so. plenty long. Yeah, he's he's totally fine off the tee. He's not a bomber, you're right, but his length doesn't hurt him. Right. So, I mean, I, I think that's why. I mean, I, I, it's very intriguing that he is 20 to 1 in terms of like, it, it almost gives you, it almost makes you want to take a second look like, well, maybe should I be interested in him in DraftKings or, or in the maybe the top 10 or top 20 market? But for me, no, I totally agree with you. I think it's too short. I would probably put Bryson, DJ, and maybe even... Tony Finau ahead of him. Yeah, my issue is that Cam Smith, I remember, opened at like 16 to 1 on DraftKings for the Tournament of Champions. And I did the same thing with Cam Smith that I did with Berger this week. I talked to I talked all about him on my Sunday show. Um, and then I got to Monday and I said, this number's just way too short. And we know how that turned out. So I'm on the fence. Sometimes I think that sometimes the books, I feel like they're sometimes telling us, they're sometimes saying, hey, we we don't want you to bet this guy. We don't want action on this guy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I don't know. When you have Brooks Kepka at double the odds as Daniel Berger, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a squirmy situation. You mentioned Bryson. Bryson was the first bet that I made at, at 22 to one. I said on Sunday that of the... JT Xander Bryson group that I really liked. One of them was going to have a two next to their name. Um, and it turned out to be Bryson. I, I just think that this is one of those tournaments, Sia, where he's starting on second base before anyone else tees it up. There are a lot of courses where Bryson's distance advantage gets mitigated. I think this is one of those courses where it gets accentuated. Yeah. So the only pushback I would give there. I and love I, pushback. Yeah, I, and I agree with you. I mean, the, the ball striking is insane. Obviously, off the tee is insane. Typically, he's just great on approach, although there's some bumps in the road there. And we know he can get hot with the putter. The problem is the around the green game. If if that Horrendous. is going to be an issue, and you know, maybe, maybe it's not. Maybe he's so good with the ball striking that it's not. But on the south course, I mean, I think we can pretty much assure, especially with those smaller greens, like people are going to be chipping more often than not, I, I think. I shouldn't say more often sure. than that, but more often. No, they than will. The yeah. yeah. More often than the typical tournament. And listen, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it now. This is. It's, it's nine. In, it's nine in a row. Thank I, you I have it by memory. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's nine in a row. So it's like, at what point do we start worrying? Like 10 in a row? <laughs> well, you know, the, the around the green stat is so kind of finicky. You know, I, I don't know how bad this is when you put it up against the ball striking and the potential for the putter. So my, my point being, if you're right, or well, you are right. If the ball striking is what it is, and if the putter is either decent or pops, that around the green game gets mitigated quite a bit. So I totally understand what you're saying. But I guess my point is, 
I don't know. I'm not so, this is a psychological take. I'm not so sure that Bryson has the mental makeup right now to overcome just like a few bad holes. You know, Bryson's prone to doing that. And if he, if just the around the green game, if it's just not clicking for him and, and he has a few bad holes, I would rather other people that I'm backing in that camp to overcome that. And I, I'm not sure Bryson's the guy. I just, I just feel like he hasn't been good enough lately, but you know, the finishing positions have been good lately. I got to admit. Yeah. And kind of to answer your question about the nature of strokes gain around the green, I tried to do some, some reading on this when I was just first really trying to understand strokes gain, you know, you're right. Like one thing with around the green is a bad chip is going to meet. So like, for example, if you flub a chip into a bunker, you can lose like a lot more than you would for just hitting a bad approach shot. Like the penalty for a bad chip is really bad. Like you can lose, if you, if you take two in the bunker, you can lose like two and a half strokes around the green on a hole. And I think that's what happens to Bryson sometimes is he has disastrous holes, which that's actually what happened to him at Torrey at the U S open, where Mm -hmm. I think he lost a ton around the green last week and, and the 75% of it came on one hole where he made a, where he made a triple. So I, I agree with you. I I was kind of having that debate myself because you look at his long-term short game. It's fine. It was another, never strength of his game, but Mm -hmm. you know, coming up, he, it was not really something you worried about. So I, I kind of had that same question where at what point do you start to worry? Is this, is this like a thing he's thinking about? You know what I mean? Is this, is this psychological? Cause you're right. It's, it's pretty concerning at this point. I mean, this sounds ridiculous, but <laughs> this guy is so intoxicated with how he swings it off the tee. <laughs> that is it possible? He's, that he just I'm not doesn't saying he's spend ig- as much time. He, well, that's the thing. I'm not saying he's ignoring it. That would be a ridiculous notion, but is he just so intoxicated with that, that he's just not dialed in on, on anything, any of the, the, the smaller part of the game? Well, my only pushback to that would be that he's one of the best putters in the world. Yeah. So, but you yeah. could be right. I mean, you could be right. It's it's so so tough to tell with Bryson. You know, it's a real bummer, Sia, that he's not doing that Netflix show. Maybe we could get a, a peek under the uh, curtain to how much time he's spending on his short game. But thankfully, we have his YouTube channel for that. Well, so I, you know, the the one day I I um, subbed in for you on the scramble. Did See, of you... course I watched the replay. Come on. Oh, okay, now. good. Yeah, I listened okay. to it on my drive back from from Santa Barbara. I didn't see the video, but I listened to the audio. So did you did you um, hear Rick's explanation? Because that was like the perfect answer. I it didn't even that didn't occur to me for some reason that he can control the content, and that's why he doesn't want to get on a show where the editors are not himself. It's a really good take by Rick. It makes yeah. it makes a lot of sense to me, right? Because he already has, I don't know, a controversial image where there are just a lot of people that don't like him. So why would he put himself in the hands of network executives for Netflix that are just trying to shell sell the show, right? It's right. like at least with his YouTube channel, he can at least somewhat control the content that he's putting out. Right. He's the, the Netflix is incentivized to basically kind of yes. throw him under the bus here and there to get clicks and to get viewership, obviously. Exactly. Okay. Well, let's, uh, is there anyone else in this range that you want to touch on before we get into this mid tier? Not really only because I don't think I'm going to be laying down my money on, on anybody else. I, you stopped at 25 to one. Am I right? I, yeah. I will say this, both Rick and Greg made some pretty compelling arguments for Tony Finau. We we do know he has a great court, and, and I'm almost I'm almost also speaking to the DFS crowd that's listening too, which obviously we know there's a pretty good overlap there. I, I didn't consider Tony Finau when 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 pricing came out, and part really of the cheap. reason is because of my what's that? Really cheap, really well priced in DraftKings. Yeah, he is, and 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 I had him last week. He was actually part of that big Will's Alatoris lineup, but he was very underwhelming. But his course history here and just his game in general, I, I really think in that that short game for one, but also the off the tee game. I mean, if you look at his strokes gain data just at the farmers, it's really compelling. And I know people still think of Tony as like not a winner and in that kind of thing. But this would be the tournament to me, or at least one of the handful of tournaments where he could actually win. And if you're not going to take him outright, maybe you take him top 20 or something like that, because it, it might be worth it. Yeah, I've seen some 
like we have him 25 here on DraftKings. I've seen some 33s and and some people jump on the 33. So yeah, I, I actually I have no problem with that. Sung JM is 30. Brooks Kepka is 40. Sia um, Zalatoris is 40. I think that one got hit. I think it's a little bit lower now. I know he's going to be very popular this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jordan Spieth sitting here at 40 to one, and then we've got Matt McNeely, Matthew Wolf, Corey Connors, Patrick Reed, Taylor Gooch, Justin Rose, Ryan. Palmer, I guess we'll stop there. But you know, you can talk about. We can open it up to anyone kind of under one hundred. There are a lot of interesting names here. Sia, is there anyone? Is there anyone that is jumping out to you that you want to prioritize? Yeah, the, there's a couple here. So one is Sung JM. I, I like him quite a bit, at least in the outright market. I think that's a. I think that's a pretty good number. But a more a sexier number that I do want to mention just right off right off the jump is Taylor Gooch. So you know I have him ranked pretty high on my model. You know yeah, he's not necessarily going to be like the most accurate guy off the tee. The approach game is certainly on point. The the putter can be up and down. Um, around the green game is is elite. Strokes gain, ball striking, strokes gain, par five. Those are those all rate out really well. And the longer proximities, again, he's not elite. This is why he's 50 to one, obviously. It's not like he's going to be elite everywhere. But uh, considering where he is and a lot of the metrics that are important to me, I think he's a guy that potentially could be there on Sunday, or I should say Saturday, excuse me. This is a different start time. But um, I think 50 to one is, is a compelling number. As far as Sungjae is concerned, speaking of models, he rates out extremely well in my model. Um, ball striking is there, strokes gain par five, elite, proximity 200 plus elite, um, around the green elite. So he's he's really grading out. The only thing with Sungjae is sometimes the putter doesn't work for him, but I like his recent form. I, I think he's a, a pretty solid play. And the thing with Sungjae too is this isn't a, you know, Sungjae is one of those guys, I think unfairly a little bit. I think he's just a really, really good player. So I don't really want to typecast him, but Sungjae is kind of one of those guys where, oh, this is a Sungjae course, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. a Florida short Bermuda course. And I think he's, I think he's much better player than that. Like he's had, he's had, he's had success on Poe before he's had success on Bent before, you know, he's, Finney, he almost won the Masters, right? So because this isn't a Sung J course, I think you might be able to get an ownership discount. And almost similar with Gooch, too. Like mm-hmm. Gooch is interesting to me because he missed the cut at the Amex by two, but it was really just one terrible round on Thursday, mm-hmm. which not to tie back into the strokes gain around the green discussion and get too into the weeds with that, but he he really just had like a ter- he had like a nightmare chipping day. But he rebounded really nicely on Friday and Saturday with back-to-back 68s. And I think you could look at it two ways. There are people that are probably going to say he peaked in the fall. Now he's starting to trend in the wrong direction because he was so good in the fall. And I think you'd also look at it and say, well, he's coming off a rare miscut. You're finally getting a dip on the pricing. And the past couple of weeks, he's been so expensive and so popular. And now it seems like you're getting a little fair, fair of a price on him. And this is a fantastic course for him. So here's the thing about, you're right about sort of the, the false swing. And I know you're talking about people's perception of him. You're right about like the false swing. Like the, it, it was a little from a competition standpoint, there wasn't as many elite players sure. there. So, okay. But the ball striking was really great, but you're right. If you, if you do like weighted strokes gained, it probably, he probably falls a little bit in the rankings. Understandable there, but it's almost like Seamus Power. So I was having this conversation a few weeks ago about Seamus Power, where when you looked at his strokes gain data, it was really good. It was like number two uh, last 50 rounds in, you know, in the entire field. This would have been, I, I can't remember which, maybe it was at the century. But the point is when you did the weighted strokes gain data, which, um, you know, obviously Rick Gaiman has that mm-hmm. on his website, it, it showed him at 19, okay? Because obviously it's, it's, it's accounting for the competition and, and that kind of thing. And I'm like, okay, that's 19 is still pretty good, even in this shortened field at the century. But my, the, the larger point I wanted to make was, but that's static. That's how it stands right now. We might be in the midst of Seamus Power actually starting, like in the, in the, literally in the middle of his climb, not at the end of it. And so regardless of whether you're, you're weighing those, you know, that strokes gain data against a, a, a more competitive field or not, 
we might be seeing Taylor Gooch, who I know, Andy, you loved last year as well. We might be seeing him in the midst of actually rising and passing those guys that I talked about earlier in the show, like your Keegan Bradley's and Charlie Hopp. Like, obviously, he's sort of passed them at this point, but you know what I mean? He's now in the middle of his ascent. It's It's not the final destination. So I think that would be the rationale for playing him if, you know, indefinitely for the next three, four or five tournaments. The point that you're talking about, about trying to understand uh, strokes gained and trying to um, kind of figure out what it all means. I, these are things I could talk about for like eight hours. You're touching on like half the reason me and Rick started a show together, but I agree with you. I think with some of these guys like Gooch and like power, we're going to find out a lot about them in the next two or three months, right? Mm-hmm. A, a guy that I want to ask you about, I want to ask you about Matthew Wolf because Matthew Wolf was very, he was a very popular pick last week at 30 to one. You can find him at 70 to one this week. And now I understand it's, it's a much better field and he just missed the cut at the EMX by eight strokes, but I do think this is a course where he has an advantage over the vast majority of the field because of his driver and his long iron play before he even tees it up. And it's a good number too. And the other part of me, and this is like another one of those rabbit hole conversations. I watched him last week on coverage at the Amex, shout out ESPN plus. And my eyes told me he looks pretty damn lost right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he loses a sense of place and a sense of timing in his downswing, his swing is a lot more related uh, on timing uh, than a swing like Bryson's, which is more connected. It can get ugly really quickly. And that's what I'm having a hard time with because I know these guys can figure it out so quickly. One little thing on the range on a Friday night can flip and He's with Gankis because they're his coach because they're in California. Um, but I, I just I, I'm having a difficult time with Wolf because I, I didn't like him last week, and now it seems like everyone is hopping off. And part of me says I watched him too. I think these people are probably hopping off for a good reason. And and the other part of me is saying, well, wait a second. Yeah, it's. it's I wasn't on him last week either. The the question you have to ask yourself because. I think if you wanted to take Matthew Wolf as like a first round leader, totally mm-hmm. get it. Yeah. But if you think he can put it together for four rounds, and I, I, I feel like at this point, I, I don't think you can really lean on that. And I understand golf is a very volatile sport and anybody can kind of spring up out of nowhere and, and catch their old form. But to your point, it doesn't seem like in this list of guys that are between, let, let's say, 40 to one, because right now I'm seeing Matthew Wolf at 50 to one as an outright, but in this list of between 40 to one and let's say 70 to one, there are so many other guys that that I would like Jordan Spieth at 40 to one. I would I would prefer I'm not I'm not going to bet Jordan Spieth, but I would prefer to take Jordan Spieth over at 40 to one over a Matthew Wolf at 50 to one. So that's where my money's going to go if if I'm taking a guy like that. So no, you're. What about guys like Matt McNeely and Corey Connors and Patrick Reed? What about some of those guys? Patrick Reed throw Justin the- Justin Rose in there. I want to I want to get your take on Justin Rose. Too. I was so big on Justin Rose last week. Yeah. So big. I had okay, so him- so don't hop off. See it. That's the trick. I think you're right. No, I think you're right. I, I liked what I saw from Justin Rose uh, Me too. last was, week was before fine. went into the. I had him in the outright card. I had him on the first cut one and done. I had him in basically almost all my DraftKings lineups. I do, <laughs> I I do single too. entry. Yeah. I yeah. do single entry. So I'm only doing like 10 or 12 lineups or whatever. And he was, he had to have been in nine or 10 of them. Um, you know, for, fortunately made the cut because of a nice, a nice Friday. But yeah, I think Justin Rose is interesting. I, again, that's another guy I don't think can do it for four days. I'd be more inclined to take him like in a showdown lineup or as a first round leader, or maybe in a matchup if the matchup is right, especially yeah, if the matchup is right. There's other guys, though, to your point. I think Aaron Wise at 65 to 1 is really interesting. I've sort of been a fan of this guy for a while. I think, you know, I don't think he's really elite at anything, um, particularly like the long irons. If you if you go back to like, let's say, last 50 rounds, you know, the 200 plus proximities, 175 plus, not super elite, but he does a lot of things really well. He's a scorer uh, around the green game is is on point. Um, off the tee approach are, are pretty good. Um, I, I just think he's he might be a guy that we're also kind of witnessing in a scent, and mm-hmm. we're not really sure where where he's at. And so it might be a good time to grab a guy like that, 
maybe in the top 40 market or even as an outright if you're feeling frisky. Yeah, he's another one of those guys that I think was a very trendy breakout candidate pick. And I think that's because his ball striking has always been there, right? He's always been a pretty great ball striker, but it finally started to seem like in the fall swing that he started to figure out the putting thing. He switched um, to the longer putter and, and he started, and the second he started putting, well, he started piling up like really high finishes. And I also do think about Aaron Wise that he has he has the game that might be better suited for a harder test than an easier test. So mm-hmm. I, I like that a lot. I, I was looking at Aaron Wise too. Yeah, I, I I I'm probably even a little higher on Rose than you are, Sia. I mean, I I the thing that <laughs> the thing that I keep coming back to, and I might be putting too much stock into this, but on Sunday at the Amex, he was third in the entire field on approach and six in the entire field off the tee. Now it's one round of golf. It was his best ball striking round in two years. Um, might be nothing. It might be something though. Um, so at the very least, like I'll, I'll be there in DraftKings again. He's won here before tons of success on Poe, which how I've talked about before, it's a real confident surface, right? Like there's certain guys like Brant Snedeker, you read any of the quotes, like they talk about Poa. They're like, I go here and I expect to make every cut. And there's certain guys that are like, fuck this. I'm not even playing this tournament because I hate these greens so much. And Rose is a guy who's done it on Poa a number of times. So he, I, I'm still in on him. Maybe, maybe even as an outright. So I like that. So not only has he won here, I mean, he missed the cut two years ago. He didn't play last year, but he won. And then the two starts before that eighth and a fourth, like you like mm. when you see that, like clearly, and you see it kind of with Ryan Palmer, right? Where in his defense, his recent form has also been pretty good. I don't think people have really noticed that, but his course history here is, is like kind of elite. I don't know how else to describe it, frankly, particularly for Ryan Palmer, it's elite. And so when I see course history like that, uh, I mean, I, I, it's, I, have to, I have to recognize it. I can't just dismiss it because of, you know, recent form or whatever. But to your point, I think the recent form's pretty good. I mean, yeah, 33rd, before that, he was, he was, his finishing positions have actually been pretty decent. So I think, I'm, I, I think you convinced me. I think I'm back. Oh, did you, shift, I, did you shift over to Ryan Palmer there for a second? Because I was oh, going to say, we can talk about Palmer too. Like, yeah, last four appearances, second, 13th, 21st, second. Um, so Palmer sitting right there too. He's also the third best player on the PGA Tour over a large sample size from 200 yards plus. Um, mm-hmm. It's str- it's strange to see like there's so many guys in this range that makes so much sense. Like Palmer, Gooch, uh, McNeely makes a ton of sense. We'll get to Luke List in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, Aaron Wise, Patrick Reed kind of gets priced in this range now, and he's the defending champion. Like I could see all of these players being chalky right but they can't all be chalky so it's going to be interesting to see where the ownership kind of gravitates to yeah and i think in that sort of range i think people are going to be impressed enough with ryan palmer because of the recent form because of the course history and because because of his price point i think he's probably going to carry a decent amount of ownership but you know that's okay i mean I, i don't to be honest with you I'm not sure I'm playing him in DraftKings. Well, I'll have to wait and see because there's other guys in that sort of um, low 8K range that that I think are just as good from an upside standpoint. So Ma- let's and Mav McNeil. By the way, Mav McNeely is one of them. I do like Mav McNeely. Yeah, I, I, I like I like Mav a lot too. Um, so you're a stats guy too, Sia. So I assume you're having the same dilemma. Let me read this off to you on Luke List. He's eighth off the tee. He's 10th in driving distance. His driver is a weapon. I mean, that's mm-hmm. inarguable. He's an elite long iron player, third in proximity, 175 to 200 over a large sample size, 20th in proximity, 200 yards plus. He's second in this field around the green, surprisingly good on POA, dominates par fives, excellent on long courses, excellent in difficult scoring conditions, good history here, coming off a T22 at the Amex, the course is tailor-made for Luke List. If I was in a lab creating a course perfect for Luke List, I would create Torrey Pines. It's long. It's straight. His driver actually matters here. His long irons matter here. Poa is the only surface he's been good on. On one hand, Sia, playing him, not playing him would just be like spitting in the face of all the modeling that I do. And <laughs> on the other hand, I can't put my finger on it, but it kind of smells like trouble. 
you know what it smells like? It smells like he's going to need to make a nine footer on Thursday night, which of course is day two this week. Yeah. Just to make the cut. Yeah. But I'm hoping that's not the case. Lucas is definitely going to be chalky. I mean, and so that's going to be one of those decisions you have to make. I think most people play tournaments when it comes, and I know this isn't necessarily a DFS show, but I think that's just a decision people are going to have to make in terms of whether you want to take Luke List. But I, I probably will. I mean, he's fourth in my model for some reason, which yeah, second makes, in mine. Yeah. Okay, so okay, that makes me feel a lot better because I was like, all right, I'm I, apparently I'm not good at modeling, but okay, good. That's um good confirmation. So so to that point though, is he somebody you're going to be betting? I mean, outright he's seventy to one, but I don't even have him in my top 20 and top 40. I just kind of like initially put a few names down. I don't have him in there. Should I? I guess I should, right? Maybe. I mean, there are a lot of really good guys in this range. See, and, and I think there's a chance I bet two guys in the 20s. So if I was going to go there, it'd probably be top 40 is probably the best exposure I would get to list because like, what's your ownership threshold on on list? Like, what's the ownership that you say, okay, I'm out? So this is a pretty big field. So I don't think it's going to get too out of control. And to your point, there's a lot of, there's a, some good options in the 7K range. But yeah, I think if he is 15% or more, I'm probably out. Yeah, me but too. I don't, th- I don't think that's prohibitive. I think you can still play him if you, if you really like him. But I'll probably just find a different guy to play and just and just hope. You know, I don't, let let me, let me say this. I don't mind playing chalk. I'm not the guy that's always going to pivot off chalk. Um, I'll, I'll make it different somehow with my roster construction or just hope and pray that somehow we leave money on the table. Like there are a million things you can do if you really like a player. Right. But I just, I don't know that I can come around on Luke. I think he is going to approach like 15, 16%. It's my guess, maybe 17, maybe that high. I think you're right. I think Mackenzie Hughes, who's $100 more expensive, is not the worst pivot if List does get really chalky. He led the U.S. Open on Sunday at Torrey Pines. and I forgot about that. Yeah, he hit a ball in a tree, and that was kind of the end of him, but he was literally tied for the lead on Sunday at Torrey Pines. Now, we haven't seen him since the fall, which I don't love, but the last time we saw him, he gained 8.2 strokes ball striking and finished second at the RSM. Mm-hmm. I remember that really closely because I had an, an outright on him at the RSM. If Gooch didn't go nuclear on Sunday, Hughes did everything right that day. Like he, he did everything right to win that tournament and Gooch was just better. I don't know if I've ever seen Hughes hit the ball like that. Now, the problem is... And it was his best approach week of his career. Now, the problem is I would prefer if that had happened last week instead of two months ago. So I have I have one thing to say and one guy to ask you about. So one, the thing I have to say is he has missed three out of the last four cuts here for whatever that's worth. I mean, yeah. Maybe Mackenzie Hughes, modern day is, is much better than what he was in 2021 and 2020. But I don't. I don't know that it's, it's and and the only there. sorry to interrupt. The only thing I would add is it you can it depends how much stock you want to put into the U.S. Open. If you're yeah. saying it's a different golf course, I don't want to put too much stock into the U.S. Open. I get it. I'm putting some stock into it, but but if but there are probably people out there that say I'm not weighing the U.S. Open at all. Like I understand that Tory Pines in June is different than it is now. What about Lonto Griffin? Any interest there? Don't you feel like you're kind of buying Lonto at like a high, I don't know. It feels like it feels like chasing a little bit to me. Like it, it feels like it feels like the Michael Thompson Lucas Glover of last week, yes. where it's like these yes. guys have this great week and and you're just chasing and buying at a high point. I love Lonto. I met him at the Northern Trust. He's a great guy. Lonto is gonna have a bad tournament and he'll be like 6,800 and like 0% in like two weeks. And like, that's yeah. when I'll be back on Lanto. I don't know if I want to buy in on Lanto now. No, I totally agree with that. Okay. So I have, I do have one other guy I really truly want to ask you about. Sorry if we're getting like far. No, ask away. Yeah, And we can, at this point, we can kind of open it up because I love ending on what I really like ending on is we'll go back and forth on a couple like super deep guys. And then, yeah. Okay, and by the way, Luke List top forty is plus one hundred. I think that's a, you're getting plus money. I think that's a pretty good cool number with for that. somebody yeah. who's yeah. rating out so well in the models. Um, who was it? Oh, it was Keith Mitchell. I'm trying to look at where his outright odds and top forty odds are. But Keith Mitchell, so oh, his top forty is plus one twenty. That was one of the guys I I had written down. So 
the thing about Keith Mitchell, so the putter and the approach game, like generally have just been bad for him. But lately, if you look at the recent form, and again, it's a very, very small sample size. But again, I'm, I'm looking at kind of guys who might be in the middle of turning their game around. The approach and putter have really kind of rebounded a little bit and the finishing positions are completely legit. Is this a guy that we're still kind of early on if, if we buy, you know, and then, you know, this week or in the next couple of weeks? Maybe. I mean, he's one of those guys where, you know, the driver is a weapon, right? Like, I think, I, I think that this just happens to be a course. And there are a couple more guys down here that, that I'll talk about that fit this bill where this happens to be a course where, like, if you, if you can drive the ball long and straight, like you just have a really big advantage on this course. I've walked this course a million times. Like you just, it really, really helps. And Mitchell is one of those guys. I'm kind of like, what makes him better to you than Vegas? Because Vegas Mm. is like the same price and Vegas is a little bit of a better iron player. And, you know, Vegas actually is, I'm actually curious to see who will be more popular because people really like playing Johnny Vegas. He hits the ball a really long way. He's always going to pop in the models because of the ball striking. I think he's pretty fairly priced this week at 7.4. But I could see him getting lost in the shuffle or maybe it's Mitchell who gets lost in the shuffle, right? Like these guys are right next to Aaron Wise. Tom Hoagie's playing really well right now. Noren's been good here. Snedeker's playing great and has amazing course history. Mito's right there. People love Mito. Yeah, I think I'm probably, at least in a DraftKings spectrum, I'm probably going back to Vegas. That was one of the guys I was on last week a lot, and he missed yeah. the cut, and I was kind of dead in the water at that point. But um, to your point, you you don't come off of a guy just because he had one bad week. If you liked him the week before, he didn't suddenly become a bad golfer you know, last weekend. So yes. the, the thing that holds him back a little bit, I, I think relative to Keith Mitchell, I think Keith Mitchell's probably, you know, I, I don't even know that I can say this comfortably. He's a better putter. That's what I was going to say. He's a better putter. And around the green, he, he appears to be a little bit better as well. But I mean, Johnny Vegas, he strikes it well and he can, he has the ability to get hot with the putter. I don't mind Vegas at all. Well, there's one other guy in this exact same price point that I think is going to be a little more controversial. So I want to talk about Gary Woodland for just a second. People people know I'm on the record about a Gary Woodland resurgence. Tough start to that take so far. We're not in panic mode yet, Sia. We're not even we're not even remotely in panic mode yet, Sia. I want everyone to forget about last week. He was semi-popular. Um it takes nothing for me to like Woodland and even I was like no, this is not the spot for him not yet. I think this is a spot to buy. He's really cheap. No one's going to play him. But he now goes to a course where, as we continue to harp on see it, his distance and driver actually is a big advantage. And these are greens he's really putted well on before. Um, he's won the U.S. Open at Pebble on Poa. He's actually been good at Riviera, too. He's been good here. Um, he goes to this tournament every single year. He's missed the cut only one time in 12 appearances. He's 7,300. Probably my favorite sub 7 point. 5k guy this is this is like woodland's last stand for me see this is a state of the union on my prediction i really think he's going to play this play well this week and if he doesn't i probably need to recalibrate yeah i don't so i'm i'm not i wasn't on woodland last week i don't think i'm going to be on him this week but you're right the the driver when it's on is certainly a weapon and you know it's just there's there's been so many flaws lately with the putter around the <laughs> oh, green yeah. it's just like nothing seems to be clicking like usually if if i can latch on to something like with jo- jonathan vegas like ball striking is great he's got distance too but you know this is like but he can rebound here like i just don't i don't know but like that's the type of guy that has the pedigree that if he's if he's in the top 5 on on saturday this week like you're going to be like okay yeah that that kind of makes sense but it's not for me I love that. You, by the way, you are welcome to just shit all over my picks as well, too. Like I, that that that's what's so funny about Woodland. It's like I remember when I first started making the case for Woodland. Everyone's like, "Oh yeah," like I I could see that. And uh, each week passes, and it's becoming a more and more difficult case to make. And and I see more people are bailing on it, which is completely fair. Um, Let me ask you this: Would you? I can't believe I'm asking you this because this other guy is not a guy I really like either. But I think in spite of last week, I think his recent play has been actually on an uptick. Gary Woodland at 110 to one. 
or at 150 to one, Ricky Fowler. What's better value is my question. Uh, well, I think you can get Woodland higher, but if you're giving me just to choose from those odds, God, that's a good question, Sia. That's tough. I don't like Ricky at this course. I, I, yeah. th- he has he Ricky would have to like. There's a universe where Woodland gains five strokes off the tee, like he did at the CJ Cup a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago, and Ricky would have to have one of those weeks, like he did at the PGA Championship, where he leads the field and around the green and putting. So I, I I think it's a little bit of an easier path for Woodland. But it's close. I mean, you even we could throw our boy Spencer's Jason Day into that mix, oh, right? Oh, Jesus! Yeah. Can I can I, can I say something? This is crazy because I was just looking at Gary Woodland at the CJ Cup. It was very impressive off the tee, right? Yeah. Do you know that this is? Am I looking at the right thing? Ricky Fowler gained more strokes off the tee in that very tournament. Did he really? He, he must he have led the field. Awesome. He gained five point five two off the tee at the CJ Cup. So there you go. That may be the crux to my argument. Because Ricky, probably, I'm probably not giving him enough credit. I mean, that was like the one good... I mean, it's pretty much... A, it's, it's a minefield other than that, for the most part. But I don't know. He's, I've seen... like Obviously, the upside, I think, is still there. Even if you go back to June, where he truly wasn't playing well, he was gaining in ball striking. And like, let's see, one, two, three... Four out of five tournaments, he gained ball striking, then he regressed again. And then the CJ Cup came and he gained almost seven strokes ball striking. And by the way, gained two strokes around the green. Anyway, these guys like Gary Woodland and Ricky Fowler, I guess the bigger point is, and I think it's more of like a top 40 or top 20 point. I think there's some value there because they're pushed so far down the board that you're not just getting plus money. You're getting like significant yeah. plus money on guys like that. Well, speaking of farther down the board, Sia, one of the things that I like to do at the end is I like to do, people have said they really like this. It's really helped with DraftKings, but I really like to kind of go rapid fire back and forth on some uh, cheap guys or Mm -hmm. some guys that are in the 150 to one range. Um, So I have four guys that I want to briefly rapid fire mention to you and we can just go back and forth. Is that cool with you? How many, how many, if you have more than four that you want to mention by all means. So I'm looking at the odds to see if this like matches up with the odds, but instead of doing that, as you go, as, as you're talking right now, I'm actually identifying a few guys that I like and I'm, I'm just like literally writing them down. So I have, I'm going to have four as well. Okay, perfect. All right. Well, let's go back and forth then. So the first guy I want to mention, Patrick Rogers, shout out Chris Powers. So Patrick Rogers, six appearances here, missed the cut four times, yeah, but the two times he made the cut, fourth and a ninth. He's a really good driver of the ball. He's really good on Poa. The last time he was at Torrey, he gained over six strokes putting, loves Poa. He said he loves Poa. West Coast guy, went to Stanford, hit the ball fine last week at the Amex. Everyone knows this about Patrick Rogers, that he's a West Coast guy, um, so maybe he's chalky. But there are so many guys in the low sevens that I think people are going to want to play, kind of like we talked about with like the Vegas Mitchell conversation that I, I just, I think he's going to get, I think he might get lost in the shuffle. And I think people, you know, even like Molinari and Hoagie that played so well last week, I'll play Patrick Rogers instead and we'll see what happens. I like that. I like the upside of, of Patrick Rogers. Okay. I, I'm down with that. You want me to uh, give my first one out? Yeah. Give me your first guy. Okay. This guy is very much hit or miss and it's the short game. That's really going to give him a problem if you're betting on him in DraftKings in particular, but I do like the ball striking and his ability to get hot. He's also pretty good at the longer proximities and that's Joel Dahman, who by the way is 150 to one. Listen, this could be, this could completely go off the rails and, but that's, that's the Joel Dahman experience though. Of course. Okay. So anyone in this price range. Yeah. But particularly Joel Dahman, like I, I've noticed even even it was years ago, I can't remember what tournament he was contending with, but it was him and somebody else on Sunday. And it was like one bad tee shot. It was like a JB Holmes situation where he just got so frustrated and just like every shot thereafter was terrible. But I do think he has the game if if he can if he can avoid some some bad the, the around the green game is pretty tough. But outside of that, I actually think he's pretty decent value at 7,200. 
I like that. Okay. Yeah. Joel Dahman. He, he's played well here before, I believe. And he's also played well at Riviera before as well. So we know he's, he's done it before on Pella. The next guy, uh, oh man, all these next guys now are above like 280 to one. Um, but these are the guys that like win you a ton of money in DraftKings. Mm-hmm. So I think CT Pan is a good play this week. He's 6,900. Um, one of the companies that my friend works for, I had lunch with him the other day. They sponsor CT Pan, um, and they really like where his game is at. This is a very silly anecdotal thing. I promise there's, there's statistical reasons too. Um, he's finished second at Tory before on two separate occasions. Here he's gained over five strokes putting. Um, so I feel pretty good about him on Poa. Pretty good driver of the ball. Pretty good long iron player. I think he'll be 1% and finish T35 and win people a lot of money. Okay, so I got to tell you this. Uh, For Wind Daily Sports, uh, I do golf content, but I also do what's called a secret weapon, where I pick a guy (laughs) that is under 7,000 in DraftKings pricing and also under 5% in projected ownership. Prior to last week, that secret weapon was 47 and 13. And the measuring stick there is, is actually making the cut, which okay. that, that record's pretty good considering the ownership and the pricing oh, and, and for, all that stuff. For sure. A couple of them have been in the top 10, you know, whatever. Um, but the point is, last week, it was CT Pan. I loved him going into last week. And so to your point, there's no reason for me not to. I mean, obviously, the course is a little different, but I agree with you. When it's you a better at, course. Yeah, it's a good course enough. for him. Yeah. Fair enough. So I think the game is, has been there for him. So I love that one. So, okay, I'll give, you, I'll give you my next one here. This is a guy who, if you actually look up his ball striking, not only is it elite, it's like John Rahm elite, but he has the no, worst putter in the country. Yeah. It's not, I shouldn't say in the country, excuse me, on the PGA tour. And that's like an actual fact. I'm not like, it's not hyperbole. I'm pretty no, sure no. he's the worst. I know. On the tour. I'm so familiar with the player that you were talking about. Yes. And before, in a, in, before you reveal it, his around the green game is also pretty terrible. However, it, uh, okay. So there's two things. One, anybody can find a good putter other than maybe Kyle Stanley. But the thing about, okay, I just, I just buried, I just gave you the lead there. But, <laughs> I think everyone, I think everyone knows though. He's, but, he, Yes. Here's the thing. He's finished top 20 here two of the last four years with an 18th and a 14th place finish. So my my point is, no, he's not going to find the putter, but he's clearly comfortable here just from an all-around standpoint. And I think at his price, at his number, I I think you could have guys that are worse here. I think he's lost in a playoff here, actually. I mean, he's, or, God, this was a long time ago. He's had, yeah, he's been very good here. And here's the thing. If you're going to play Kyle Stanley, Play him here because it's not a tournament where he needs to make a million putts, right? Like there's going to be holes where par's okay, right? Because Kyle Stanley will be hitting greens that other people will be missing. And so his shitty two putt might be better than some people who aren't miss making the green and are having to get up and down. You know what I mean? So this is the, this is the spot for him. That's a great point. I I love how you put that because that I should have said what you just said, because that's, a, that's actually even a more compelling argument than, than what I was going with. I, I think this is, if you were going to suck it up and play Kyle Stanley, this would be the tournament to do it. My next guy, see uh 300 to one 6,600. This guy's the lowest price guy currently in my player pool. I'm not dropping below this guy, but if you want a salary saver, uh, party Marty Laird, this guy plays here every year. He loves his tournament. He he he's made the cut eight out of eleven times. He kind of like surprisingly like rated out pretty well for me. He's a good iron player, particularly a good long iron player. Um, he's had some nice success before on Poa. Don't love that it's his first start of the year, but I found the most on him out of the super cheap guys. I like that quite a bit, actually. Um... I wanted to play him, I think, a week ago, or maybe it was two weeks ago, when he had a withdrawal, right? He sure did. Yeah, because yeah, he was on my radar that week, too. I love me some Marty. Yeah, I like that. Okay, so here's a guy I, I'm kind of a sucker for. He kind of fits in the Kyle Stanley mold here, but he's actually playing maybe a touch better than Kyle Stanley. It's Emiliano Grillo. Mm. Okay, so the ball striking is there with him. The, the problem with him is the around the green game and the putter. However, if you're actually – again, this is a small sample size. If you look at his last five tournaments – He's lost in two of those five, but one of them was minimally, like minus 0.11. Mm-hmm. 
The other one was minus 1.51. But in the other three, he actually gained, not very significantly, but gained nonetheless. If the ball striking is there for him and the putter is a zero putter, I absolutely think he can pay off his price in DraftKings. And by the way, I have him as a top 40 at plus 240. You're really going for the team no putt this week. And I, I, maybe there's an argument to be made that when you get on, this could be a reach, but when you get on Poa Green's, like even the best players are going to struggle. Like maybe I'm, maybe I'm reaching there, but this is a tournament. This is a surface that it's, it's more inconsistent, right? Like it's harder to get confident and get comfortable. Like you can really get thrown off if you start putting poorly. So maybe that levels the playing field. Who knows? We'll see. My final guy, Sia, um, and not giving up seems to be a theme of this episode, but I'm not ready to give up on a guy who is pretty popular last week that I liked, who I don't think is going to be popular at all this week. And that's Adam Svensson. Now, like, I, I just think people give up too quickly. Like I loved Hoagie at the Sony open. Didn't work out. I stayed on for one more week and thank God. Cause he kind of saved me. Uh, I loved Svensson last week. T 49, not great, but he's already played well here before. Um, so he had status in 2019 and finished. So he played a lot of these courses, actually, like a lot of these guys um, like Jaeger and Mito and all the rookies have never seen any of these courses. Svensson's actually seen a, a lot of them because he ha- he's had status before. Um, and he finished 35th here um, and he gained strokes in all four more major categories that week. The sample size is starting to get a little bigger with him. And I think Svensson's like a really good iron player. Not super sure about the rest of his game, but he's been really good from 175 plus, And I think that can take you a long way at Torrey. Yeah, I like Svensson as well. He's definitely going to be in my player pool. And I'm I'm happy to stay on him. I mean, I, I'm, I'm also looking for like some experience on this course if I can get it. But I, I think Svensson is one of those guys where I'm willing to overlook it considering his price tag. Okay, so here's my last guy. This is pretty amazing because this guy is such a good ball striker and he's not bad around the green and he's improving with the putter, yet his finishing positions are all kind of garbage. He's either missing the cut or his best case scenario is like a a top like 25, but typically if he's making the cut, he's like in the 40 range. Okay, so this guy has gained ball striking. Okay, he's gained ball striking, I believe, I just did a rough count, 14 of the last 15 tournaments. And some of these gains are like significant gains in ball striking, 4.83, 9.34, 2.68, 2.66. Around the green is, is a little wishy-washy. The putter is starting to improve. He's 6,400 on DraftKings. Jason Duffner. Nobody yeah. likes playing Jason Duffner, and I get it, but I can't ignore these numbers. I think he's going to make the cut this week, and I think he could do just enough damage to get your DraftKings team above par. See, I, I, you know I love these guys. I play Jason Duffner all the time. I played Duffner last week. He made the cut. So, nice. yeah, no, 100%. The only, I, that's it for my guys. But since you said 6,400, I was reminded, Bronson Burgoon, too, is 6,400. He's like mm-hmm. a long iron specialist, like terrible at everything. But if you want to take one guy that, okay, he's really good from 175 plus, that would be Bronson Burgoon. But yeah, I like Duffner. I always like Duffner. Okay, Sia, let's do a quick recap. I have made a bet on Bryson at 22 to 1. I'm looking very closely at, at Berger. We're, we're monitoring that situation very closely. I have made a bet on Justin Rose at 65 to 1. And we're monitoring the Wolf situation very closely. And then for top 40 guys... We Svensson, a hundred percent, probably Luke List, Woodland for sure, and then probably Patrick Rogers and 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 maybe Vegas and CT Pan and Laird. Like a lot of these guys, I, I have to kind of figure out my my hashtag units, but it, it's going to be a lot of the guys that we talked about. I think you can find pretty good top forty prices on them as well. What say you, sir? I like the card. Okay, so I I haven't laid any bets down yet, but this is what I'm considering. Uh, Hideki at 18 to 1, DJ at 22 to 1. I'll probably only take one of those. And I'm starting to lean DJ just because I think that unknown is is 
has the price at, at the right spot. I think if you played one tournament and he was pretty good, this would be 14 to one. So I think 22 to one is, is fine there. Uh, Taylor Gooch at 50 to one, Aaron Wise at 65 to one, and just a dart on Lonto at 80 to one. I've got a few top 20s, Sungjae plus 140, Gooch plus 180. Actually, I was going to say Lanto plus 275, but I, you know, you know what don't I think. Let I'm me talk do? you. Don't let me talk you out of Lanto. I love Lanto. We took the ferry back together for the Northern Trust. Nice. Oh yeah, you told me he's a nice guy. He went to VCU, which is I went to law school at University of Richmond. VCU is right down the way. So um, for some reason, when people say his name, like on TV, they mention Virginia Commonwealth University. I, it's kind of cool. So kind of a, <laughs> a hometown thing. But the the point is, um, I, I'm I'm going to take the outright back on Lanto. I think I just want him in the top 20 at plus 275. Okay, that, that's what enough. I was going to say. Yeah. Um, I, I have four top 40 guys, Keith Mitchell plus 120, CT Pan plus 165. Uh, I should have mentioned Luke List at plus 100. I really, I really do like that one. And Emiliano Grillo at plus 240. It's, that's, a, that's a large enough plus price for me to be um, happy about that one. I love it, man. See ya. Thank you so much for joining me, man. It is always a pleasure. Before we get out of here, why don't you uh, tell everyone what you got going on this week? Yeah, so this week, good question. So I just did the first cut with Rick Gaiman, Greg Ducharme. So um, feel free to check that out. It's the DFS show. First Cut has a show every day, but I'm on their Monday DFS show for the the, the balance of the year. Um, I also do the CBS Fantasy Football Today DFS show. Probably only going to have a couple more shows this season for obvious reasons, but you can always um, check out that podcast. And then I'm on SiriusXM Fantasy Sports Radio uh, Saturday nights with Jason Mizrahi with, with Wind Daily Sports. Um, that's nine Eastern to 11 Eastern. We talk really all sports, probably a heavy football show this week, but we'll get into NBA and of course golf and MLB. And if that season goes and all that stuff. So that's, that's basically where you can find me or at Sia Najad on Twitter. See you. Good to see you, my friend. We're going to do it again soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, by the way. All right. That is it for the show. A lot of new visitors to this podcast in the new year. I love that. That is uh that is awesome. So do not forget if you have two or three seconds uh, to rate and review on Apple Podcasts, it's a very quick process. That really helps me out more than you know. Um, I really appreciate that stuff. So feel free to come say hi or DM me if you'll be at Tory. I'll be there Friday afternoon and all day Saturday. Um, the Sunday podcast for this week to be determined. I'll be at Tory all weekend. I'm going to try and get a lot of research done ahead of time on Wednesday and Thursday, but I don't like half-assing those. So if I don't have enough time, we'll see. Plus, I kind of want to watch football that day, and it's a pretty crappy tournament anyway because most of the elites are going to Saudi. But anyway, that will do it. Have a great rest of the week. Good luck with your bets. Go Xander, and we'll see you next time. Cheers. If I ventured in the slipstream between the viaducts of your dream. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.